Cable news, noisy, boring, out of touch. That's why Salem News Channel is different. We keep you in the know. Streaming 24-7 for free. Home to the greatest collection of conservative voices like Dennis Prager, Jay Sekulow, Mike Gallagher, and more. Salem News Channel is unfiltered and unapologetic. Watch anytime, on any screen, at snc.tv and local now, channel 525. The following program is pre-recorded. Opinions expressed may not reflect those of Salem Media of Colorado or its sponsors. This is Life in Colorado, a radio news magazine about the issues, events, and the unique life we live in the Centennial State. Welcome to Life in Colorado. I'm Mark Howington, and I'm pleased to have on the phone with me Dr. Larry Crabb, authored over two, well, make that, I was about to say 225. I, I think your arm would be much more tired if that were the case, but 25 books. You're the founder of New Way Ministries, co-founder of Larger Story, Ph.D. in clinical psychology, and uh, for the longest time, and that's how I first came to know you, Dr. Crabb, you were a distinguished, and still are, scholar in residence at Colorado Christian University and have been there for 24 years. Welcome to Life in Colorado. Yeah, I need to clarify that distinguished scholar in residence is way too impressive. I'm not distinguished, <laughs> I'm not a scholar, I'm not even in residence anymore. I live in Charlotte now. Oh, Charlotte, North Carolina? Yeah, I moved here about three and a half years ago. No kidding. Okay. Well, actually, you're in the place of my birth. Oh, how about that? Okay. So there you have it. Well, Dr. Crabb, you've written a book called Waiting for Heaven, and the the subtitle is Freedom from Incurable Addiction to Self, which is really both those titles, interesting that they are going together. So we want to talk about how they connect. But first, there's a press release about this book. I want to read a line from it. According to the American Addiction Center's drug abuse and addiction cost American society more than $740 billion annually in lost workplace productivity, healthcare expenses, and crime-related costs. And so, in part, you've written this book to deal with that, but as we mentioned, you've been a clinical psychologist for a long time, and so I know that you've dealt with this the issue of addictions. Talk about that a little bit. I mean, how in the world is this costing $740 billion? Um, when I was in private practice, I spent 10 years in practice, and then I spent a bunch of years teaching my ignorance. Um, but in, in practice, I dealt with a lot of people that were hooked on pornography, that were hooked on drugs, hooked on all sorts of things. And I can tell you that psychotherapy and the, the, whatever the good counseling is and all the programs, um, they run up against tough stuff. And I think the reason, as I understand it, is that there is a, a very deep longing in the, in the core of every human being that wants a level of uh, at least a moment of full satisfaction. I just want to feel good. And um, in this world, there's always something that keeps us from feeling good. And so the idea of just sort of trusting, hoping, maybe trusting in God, or this kind of hoping that things will work out well, the marriage will go well, the money will go well, my health will go well, there'll be no car accidents today. Um, There's just a fear that we live with that things are just not going to go well. And because there's a demand, just an urgent thirst, if you will, that i got to feel good somehow, We've learned how to manage that, and drugs work wonderfully for the moment. Um, sex addiction works wonderfully. It gives you a, a fullness of pleasure for at least a couple of seconds, which beats a couple of minutes of no pleasure. And, and I think that, um, as, as one guy, Peter Kraft, a wonderful Catholic theologian, 
um, Boston College years ago. He, he said that, that that trying to to fill this deep thirst for just wanting to feel really good, trying to fill that deep thirst with everything we can manage to make it happen, his image is like trying to fill the Grand Canyon with marbles. Mm. It just doesn't work. It works for a moment. And one of the things that everybody in the addiction field understands is that when you take a drug, for example, to release the pain in your soul, the, the angst, the despair, the loneliness, the emptiness, whatever description fits you best, um, when, then it, it, it does relieve the pain for a while. But then, of course, the pain comes back, but it comes back even deeper. And that requires you to take the drug again and maybe more of it. And so the cycle continues that the more you use it, the better you feel for a moment, but the deeper your angst becomes and the more of the drug you require, you require until you're totally hooked and can't get out of it. Yeah, and you're, that's you're actually – That's the pattern. You're actually talking to somebody who was an alcoholic, so I, ah. I know the pattern very well. And here's, here's what I discovered in my own life. Uh, yeah, there was a lot of childhood pain. Father left the family at six and married another woman, and mom was – not very emotionally available, and so there was a lot of childhood pain that came from that. And so, you know, later in life, I suppose I can say I drank to get rid of that pain, or or at least to find, as you mentioned, temporary relief. But as you mentioned, that cycle that just keeps coming back in a very vicious way actually created more pain because it— it started to damage my relationships. I had uh, uh, problems at work. I got lost to several jobs. I had problems with relating to my boys. In fact, still have struggles with that today. And I see the impacts of on their life. And so as as I continued this cycle that you're talking about, not only did the pain deepen, and, and in a lot of ways I went back in my childhood past and had a lot of remorse for those things and pondered that and, of course, felt that pain on a deeper level. But I yeah. Caused myself more and more and more and more pain. So you're right. I felt like I had to drink to uh, to cover that. And oh, what a vicious cycle! And if, you know, finally I reached this point of rock bottom that they they say you get to in recovery, where life just completely disintegrated. And uh, that caused me to to cry out for help. And fortunately, I found well, actually, I'll put it this way: that I was being fired, and the person who was firing me from a Christian station. Uh, handed me the book Life's Healing Choices by John Baker, who founded Celebrate Recovery, and uh, and said you need to read this and you need to get into Celebrate Recovery, and so yes. so uh, that uh, that brought an incredible amount of freedom, and so I'm intrigued by your book, this Waiting for Heaven. By the way, talking with Dr. Larry Crabb, this is Life in Colorado. We're talking about the book Waiting for Heaven, and Dr. Crabb, let me read a line that that takes us exactly where you've taken us so far. The first half of my assumption, the proximate cause of whatever addiction we struggle against, has less to do with neurological or chemical malfunction in the brain, more to do with our demand for felt relief from the inconsolable ache of a never fully satisfied, always still thirsty soul. Talk about that a little bit. Uh, Um, You're holding me accountable to what I've written now, I guess. (laughs) Um, but uh, yeah, I think I would defend that very clearly. And again, I, I, I threw in the notion that the root is not neurological or chemical by saying that there, there's, not, there's not a place for some of that. Um, there's not a, you know, when I have a headache, I take an aspirin, I don't just pray. Um, and there are issues neurochemically that need to be dealt with, and I'm not qualified, I'm not a physician, I'm a psychologist. Um, but, but there is just a, um, there's an inconsolable longing, that's a quote from C.S. Lewis, 
um, that just just is, is pressing always for a level of relief. I have a good friend that is just very self-aware, aware of um, of that, that that part of her soul that just feels empty and and alone. Even though she has a wonderful marriage, she's a godly woman, and um, but she got herself hooked on candy of all things. Mm. And she would go into the grocery store just to pick up, you know, milk and eggs and meat, whatever. And when people weren't looking, she'd go to the candy aisle and just pick up a bunch of boxes of candy and hide them in her house. And her phrase to me, she was sitting with her husband and my wife and I at dinner one night. This is probably about a year ago. And and she, she said, that, that candy provides me, and I love this phrase, the candy provides me with five seconds of mm. deliciousness. Mm, yeah. And then what it does, it made me realize, she's speaking now and saying this, it made me realize that the more I lived for that five seconds of deliciousness, the less I was able to give the real deepest part of my soul and my love to my husband. Yes. And it was ruining my relationships, and it was keeping me from being the kind of woman, the kind of wife that I really wanted to be. And then it was was kind of curious. She turned to her husband over the dinner table and said, "Uh, were you aware of all the hoarding I was doing? Mm -hmm. Thinking she had hidden it so well. And he's a very gracious guy. He smiled and said, oh, yeah, I was very, very aware of it. Wow. And this was being patient with her, knowing that there was some kind of a desire in her soul that when she really came to understand the deepest longing of her soul, she's going to realize that candy doesn't do it, nor does alcohol, nor does drugs, nor does pornography. That's right. And then it's when you, as you were saying, just cried out for help. My life isn't working. And I really think that if if there's going to be any real movement, and sometimes there's not, but there always can be, if there's going to be a, a movement away from addiction, it's really going to depend on getting to a to a very clear crossroads where one direction is total futility, total despair. The other direction is something very different. And now you've got to look to something very different, and you look to celebrate recovery, which I, I couldn't applaud more. But that, that crossroads has to be come to, and that's my version of what it means you've got to hit bottom. Yes, I, I think you're right. And one of the things that I, I've been enjoying about your book, Waiting for Heaven, again, we're talking with Dr. Larry Crabb, you you talk about and I you'll have to correct me if I'm interpreting incorrectly, but you talk about thirsts and part of what I gathered from your book is that in a lot of our addictions we're trying to fill these smaller thirsts and the reality is we don't do it very well or as you mentioned there's only this temporary filling uh, our satisfaction that comes with it but you also talk about greater a greater thirst really the thirst. Uh, let's transition to that a little bit. First of all, talk about what you would call these lesser thirsts, and then let's uh, spend some time talking about that greatest thirst as well. I think that we are absolutely bombarded by lesser thirsts. I, for example, am a self-confessed coffee addict. I was out to breakfast even this morning, and I had about five cups of coffee on top of a vanilla latte. Um, that's more coffee than I needed, but there was something in me that just when I when I sip the coffee, I don't even like the taste of coffee that much. <laughs> yeah. But when I when I sip the coffee, there's something that just relaxes me, even even though it's caffeine. But there's something that kind of settles me. Maybe that's a better word. That settles me, and kind of for the moment, I'm saying things right now are okay. Uh, in this moment, I don't have any stress. I'm in the middle of refinancing my mortgage, and I'm going nuts. They're giving me more to-do lists every day, and it's been a three-month process, and it still hasn't completed yet. And it's really irritating me 
So another cup of coffee kind of numbs that fear. It's a lesser thirst that some temporary managed feeling that feels satisfying. And I just want to contrast that with the, the central thirst that I believe is in every human soul, and you can put it in theological terms, you can put it in philosophical terms, and the deepest thirst of the human soul, I think we're approaching what the deepest thirst is by talking about what's the point of getting up in the morning? What's the meaning of life? Um, so I made a lot of money today. I closed a deal at the business, and I got a paycheck for a million dollars. Man, I love that. I can afford it, and I can afford whatever I want now. Um, but but there, is, is, is that the meaning that you were born to enjoy, is there not a kind of joy that closing a deal or drinking coffee or having sex or drinking alcohol, is there a joy that none of those really provides? Is there a deeper joy, a, a lust, if you will, if the right use of the word lust, thirst being synonymous, is there just a deep thirst in the soul for a point to my existence? Do I exist with any real value? Do I matter to anyone and then as uh, a couple of nihilistic philosophers talk about, um, all we are are people that are going to die. So there really is no point to life now. So just satisfy whatever thirst you feel as best you can. So if your whole philosophy of life is you live your 60, 70, 80, 90 years, whatever, and then you're dead, well, big deal. So I have a couple of books that are a few people maybe read after I'm dead. Well, that brings me great joy. Then do a thing for me. Right. Um, so there's, there's got to be some, you know, there, there's, there's something in me that longs for eternity, that longs for something never-ending that really matters, that longs for a level of relationship that I was built for. You know, one of my clear teachings, and I think the book gets into this, is that every human being um, in any culture, we, we bear the image of the relational God, because God is a trinity of three persons, and I've often said the almost a little silly sentence, I don't think it's silly, that the Trinity, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, they're the only small group that's ever gotten along really well. And how, how do they do that? What does the word love really mean? Everybody sings about love. Uh, the country western songs sing about it. I'm an Elvis fan. He sings lots of songs about love. But we're talking about the deepest thirst of my soul is for a meaning in life that's centered in the ability to love and to know I am loved. What is that? And Alcohol and candy doesn't, doesn't, doesn't do it. It just numbs it. You know, what's interesting, I think, about what you've been sharing to this point is that uh, you, you mentioned not finding the satisfaction and making a lot of money or, you know, making the deal or doing whatever else in life that you're doing that you thought would perhaps satisfy those smaller thirsts, and they don't. And I, I know, having mentored now several folks who have gone through Celebrate Recovery in my own, my own recovery— is that a lot of those things will then lead people to that cycle that we talked about earlier of trying to satisfy those thirsts. It's interesting you're talking about this this one thirst of trying to, am I loved? Do, does someone really love me? Do I matter? And um, you're, you're saying that the Trinity uh, of God, the, the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, they all got along and they did, they did it quite well. And so there's a key there somewhere. And again, this is Dr. Larry Crabb with his book, Waiting for Heaven, Freedom from the Incurable Addiction to Self. So, Dr. Crabb, talk about that deeper thirst. Can we satisfy it? Not until heaven. And that's the whole point, that there's going to be, uh, we're going to be getting sips of whatever satisfies the thirst, but I want to gulp. 
I don't want a sip of coffee. I, I want to keep on sipping until I really have a, a slow measured gulp. I want the whole deal. I want to empty the cup and then have the server fill it up again. And when, when Lewis talks about the inconsolable longing, uh, one of his memorable sentences is that when you discover a thirst in your soul that nothing in this world can satisfy, then it's time to realize you were created for another world. Because it's not until the other world that the thirst is going to be satisfied. Therefore, I think the real key to overcoming an addiction, at least one element, I'm not sure if there's one big key that, that, that works magic, but here's a big part of it, that I've got to accept the fact that until I die and go to heaven, I need to live thirsty. I need to live with an acknowledgement of a thirst that deepens my sense of waiting for what's coming as opposed to demanding something now. And that really is very central to the book, that the more, and I'm, you know, I've, I've written the book, man, I'm trying to live it, and I don't live it all that well, um, but I, I, I'm aspirationally moving toward everything I say in the book, because I believe that the degree to which I'm passionately, meaningfully, not incidentally, waiting for all that's going to come when I get to heaven, when I really realize that my deepest thirst is going to be completely satisfied, and I'm going to know what happiness means in a level I cannot know in this world, if I really believe that, I believe that relieves me of the natural tendency of mine to demand that satisfaction now. And and think about, you know, I've been married now for 54 years. And if, if I, you know, in the earlier days of our marriage, and I'm sure it's still this is there because I'm still not in heaven, obviously, um, that there, there, there's just a, a natural tendency in me to tendency in me. I, I want the thirst that marriage can satisfy to be complete. And I have a really good marriage. I love my wife. She loves me. We get along really, really well, but not perfectly. Mm. And at her best, which is almost all the time, I'm never going to claim she's perfect, so she's not, but she's awfully, awfully good. But at her best, she does a lot for me, but there's something that she doesn't have the power to touch because she's not a perfect lover like God is. So the only source I can go to for the kind of love that I most deeply want is not my wife. It's the Lord, which then frees me to be there for her as best I can, and that's the incurable addiction to self. I'm so self-oriented. You know, come on, woman, how about taking care of me? You missed me. I was really discouraged the other day and didn't even notice. I don't understand why you're not paying attention to me. That's the addiction to self, and it's incurable apart from being able to wait for what only comes later. Okay, I hate to say this. We have three minutes left, so put a bow on this for us. Obviously, folks can get your book, Waiting for Heaven, but uh, it, it's, uh, how, how in the world do we make this transition? <laughs> Three minutes. Well, let me tell you this. First of all, I'd like you to, anybody that is interested to pursue this further, go to LargerStory.com. That's a website, um, and they're the ones that uh, they have a thing called Larger Story Press, and you can get the book through them, LargerStory.com. But I think as you read the book, um, I, I think that what you might take away from it is that the struggle is real, the struggle is long, but movement, significant movement is possible, and I believe it begins with sitting down by yourself a little bit and not staying so busy with television or activity or hopefully watching sports on television again and um, going to work every day or whatever else you do and maybe getting a good vacation going. All those things are legitimate and good. But they really uh, help us to live in distraction. The old philosopher Kierkegaard said that the greatest difficulty with most of us is that we live by distraction, meaning, I believe, that we don't sit down quietly with ourselves and say, 
what do I really want? What is deepest within me? Why can I get it satisfied? Why is there still an emptiness within me? Start with the bad news that there's nothing in this world that is going to fully satisfy your soul, and if there's no other world than this, then my suggestion would be, well, go back to drinking, eat candy, get rich, buy a fancy car, do whatever. But if there really is another world, then maybe you can kind of identify with the psalmist who says that, I'm thirsting for the living God. When can I go stand in his presence? That's what it means to wait for heaven. Mm, I like it. And actually, I'm very excited to say, I actually misread the clock. We have another five minutes. So ah. so again, uh, as we talk about this waiting for heaven, one of the things that you said, which really struck out to me because, because it uh, reflects a celebrate recovery principle that I'm so familiar with, my focus therefore has shifted. I'm more fervently asking God's Spirit to do whatever needs doing to make me the man I was saved to become— a living imitation of Jesus. And then you talk about there's a shift that happened. And the uh, principle in Celebrate Recovery is that, especially after doing a fearless and moral inventory, part of the 12 steps, we come to realize we've got this good, bad, and the ugly going on that you talked about this. this uh, I think you, in, in essence, are calling it the addiction to self. Well, certainly all these behaviors that I had, addictions to self, caused a lot of problems. And I realized I had what Celebrate Recovery calls character defects. Well, what, what now do I do with it? I, I'm a broken man. How, do, how in the world do I get fixed? And so that's why that statement of yours stood out to me, because Celebrate Recovery would say, I humbly ask God, not me, I can't fix myself, to remove these defects of character. So obviously there's a work that needs to be done deep within our souls and to get to that point where only God can satisfy. Talk about that a little bit. Yeah, that's that's crucial. I really appreciate what you're saying. I think you're saying the same thing that I'm saying. And I think one of the one of the implications of what we're both agreeing on is that if I were to be uh, if I were to recognize a certain addiction within me, uh, it doesn't happen to be alcohol. That doesn't make me better than you. It just means my addictions are different than yours. Um, but whatever addiction I have, whatever addiction you have, whatever addiction comes to mind when people hear the word addiction, they typically think of sex, drugs, alcohol, um, and we, we don't think of relational addictions, you know, the addiction to being approved, the addiction, the addiction to being liked, the addiction to, you know, when I try to be funny that you laugh, so I feel good about myself as having a good sense of humor. And we start identifying all these different addictions, but we've got to realize that the root addiction has to be dealt with, and the root addiction is what I call the incurable addiction to self. It's really about me. When I was training in graduate school, one of the many psychological disorders that I was studying was narcissism. And I no longer think that that's an occasional disorder mm. that some people suffer from. I think that's what every child comes into the world struggling with, narcissism. It's all about me. Come take care of me. You've got to get hold of that particular deep longing in the soul um, that simply is not going to be fulfilled through whatever this world offers. And I think that's just something we've got got to reckon with. So we, we talked about this, uh, this lesser thirst that we try to fill. We've also talked about this greater thirst that we have for God. And I'm just going to make an observation from my own life and just curious about your comment as we wrap up. Um, I, I have found, and I'm, who knows, I haven't gotten to the conclusion of your book, you may actually get to this, but I have found that as, if I try to satisfy those lesser thirsts in my life, I wind up being destroyed. There's, there's something about everything that that quest 
destroys relationships and jobs and, and ability to make money and ability to do whatever. It just destroys my life when I search out those thirsts. But you're talking about a thirst that we can't have satisfied yet until we get to heaven. It's a thirst of relationship with God. And yet I find that even though I can't satisfy that thirst, if I pursue that thirst, if I pursue the, you, you have, uh, which we don't have time to go through, but you have a list. Well, I'll go through some of them. Uh, you, we, we, we hate sin more than pain. Obviously, we, we cover pain with sin. We live for only what God can give, not for what the world gives. And on your list goes. I find if I pursue things like that, even though it doesn't satisfy the thirst completely, I find it actually builds my life up and improves my relationship with God and in turn with others. Absolutely. I think pursuing the thirst, I like the phrase, pursuing the thirst releases what is best in the human soul, uh, especially if you're a Christian. What is best in the human soul is a, is a desire not just to be loved, but to love, to give. More blessed to give than to receive, the Lord said. And I think a large part of this, um, Mark, is that can, can, can we have a, a vision for who we could become? And when addictions start uh, exercising their their pressure, their desire, their appeal, and my, it would sure be nice to look at a pornography for a little bit, and I can feel really good, or to have a box of candy or whatever it might be, another drink. That can I start thinking about? Is there is there a, a deeper thirst from in my own soul, not 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 just for a relationship with God, that's central, but to become the man or the woman that God really created me to be, and He didn't create me to be some guy that runs away from my wife so I can watch pornography on the computer at two in the morning. He didn't create me to be somebody who is so self-serving that I'm really not able to be there for anybody else. I'm not released to love. But when I get a vision of who I really, really long to be, that provides an impetus to resist what is going to take me away from the vision that I legitimately and eagerly want to, want to become. Wow. Well, vision is a very huge topic. I agree with you. I hate to do it, but uh, we're going to leave people thirsty for more. And so if uh, I'm going to say, if you want more from Dr. Larry Crabb, his book again, Waiting for Heaven, available wherever books are sold. And Dr. Crabb, I just want to say thank you so much for being a part of life in Colorado. If you have questions or comments about today's program, please call 303-750-5687 or email us at lifeincolorado at salemdenver.com. Life in Colorado is a public affairs presentation of Salem Media of Colorado.